The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. My name is Aaron. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the Grove Church, and it's an honor to be up here uh, as we continue in our How to Neighbor series today. Uh, I hope that you have had a great weekend so far. And maybe you're like me, and your wife or your fiance or your girlfriend or maybe even your mom went on this anchor ladies retreat this weekend. Uh, I'm here to tell you it's almost over, okay? They come back today. And for those of you who are with the kids by yourselves as single dads for a weekend, good job. Well done, uh, good and faithful servants. So uh, I want to take a moment and pray for this retreat as it's coming to a close today. I've heard great reports. My wife is spending time there. She's told us it's been a great weekend so far. So I just thought it'd be fitting to take a moment and pray for them before we jump into today's message. So can we do that today? So let's pray. God, thank you today for this weekend. And Lord, what it represents for many of the ladies uh, here in our Grove Church family. And Lord, we thank you for the words and the challenge and the encouragement that you've given these moms and wives and incredible individuals. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue your faithful work, Lord, as they gather together this morning to close out this weekend. God, I pray you would put a, a final period, an exclamation point on what you've said to them. God, I pray that they would not only know who they are and their unique shape that you've created them with, but God, I pray that they would have confidence. I pray they would have courage. And I pray they would come back boldly leading the way to to reach the communities and the place that you've called us to uh, reach at home. And so Lord, I pray you'd be with them today. I thank you for all the energy and the effort and and Heather and and Jen and so many other ladies' leadership in this weekend. And I pray you'd bless them and make it be an incredible time. And I pray we as a church family would be blessed because of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we are in a third part of our series. If this is your first time today, uh, we are in a series called How to Neighbor. Obviously, that's taken out of Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus has asked a question with the intention of trapping him, saying, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus's response is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he continues on and says, and the second one is just like it. And it's to love your neighbors as yourselves. And the challenge in the heart over the last couple of weeks and the challenge in the heart of the next couple of weeks is to bring us to a point of understanding what does it actually mean to love our neighbors? Who is our neighbor? And how do we effectively represent Jesus well so we can, so we can love our neighbors in that regard? And so today as we're in part three, my hope for you is that you feel a little challenged like I have been. I, I hope that you feel encouraged like I have been. And I hope you are willing to take some steps to continue being a better neighbor to your neighborhoods. Uh, and so we're going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, which is the fourth book of the Old Testament. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 25. And as you turn in your Bibles to Numbers, chapter 13, or you open up your smartphones, or you're going to cheat and look at the screen behind me, I want to give us a little bit of context this morning. It's okay, you can cheat today. Moses is the leader of God's people. God had just taken them out of Egypt, delivered them from slavery, brought them through the wilderness, walked them through a Red Sea in an incredible feat of power. And he brings them on the cusp of a promised land. God took them out of Egypt to give and to bring them to a land that they will inherit, that they could to uh, conquer and take over. And they're on the cusp of this. And God tells Moses, who's the leader, I want you to select 12 individuals, one leader from each tribe, to go into the land and and check it out, to scout it out. Twelve spies is what they're called. And so they go into this land, they scout out the the land for 40 days, and they come back and report to Moses and Joshua, who are the leadership of the the Israelite community, and then the Israelite people. And this is their report. And so we're going to pick up in verse 25 the report that they share with Joshua and Moses. It says this, 
After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful uh, country. Just lost my spot. Bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. So it stops and says, everything God promised us is in this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's rich. It's, it's the neighborhood we want to move into. You know, there's those neighbors like, man, I wish I could live in that neighborhood. Or that's a good neighborhood too. Good school district, good neighborhood community. It's a cul-de-sac, so there's probably barbecues in the summer. That's where I want to be. The, the spies come back and say, hey, everything God said it would be, it's that and more. But they don't stop there. It says this, but, verse 28, the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb, who was one of the 12 spies, says this. He tries to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. But the other men... Had, who had explored the land with him, disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. And we saw giants there, descendants, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought Two. Let's pray today for God's word. Lord, again, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. And Lord, your heart is for us to love you, to know you, and to reach the world that we live in. And so Lord, I pray today that you would challenge our hearts. I pray you would reveal to us the things that we believe that are not in alignment with who you are or what you say. And I pray we would respond obediently to your truth and your truth alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Numbers 13 shares the story of God's people on the cusp of inheriting an incredible land. And they report that it's an incredible land, but then they also respond about their fear. See, the interesting thing is they, they saw what God promised, but I would argue they forgot who sent them and got caught up in the fear of who's inhabiting the place that they lived in. They were unsure, unsure. They're much more powerful. They say that we felt like grasshoppers, and they thought so too. Their cities are fortified. We can't go up against them. It's the true David and Goliath story before David and Goliath was actually a story. They hadn't experienced this yet. But what they did is they went to this land after seeing God do incredible things and then forgot. Man, I want, I want that place, but we can't conquer it. And we find out later in Scripture that it was actually two individuals, Caleb and then Joshua, who was the second in command with Moses, who both voiced interest in saying, we can conquer it, let's go do this. But because of the people's fear, God's response to them, they actually ended up rebelling against God, they actually were disobedient to God, and God said, okay, fine, you don't trust me, you don't want to live according to what I have for you, then go to the wilderness. He takes them from the cusp of the promised land, the place they were going to inherit, the best neighborhood they could ever move into that had all the bells and whistles and all the right people, and sends them back into the wilderness for 40 years. 
In essence, we find out that God was looking to kill off a generation of complainers, of whiners, of those who were disobedient. If you're not going to trust me, I don't want you to inherit what I have for you. That was God's stance. So he sends him back into the wilderness for 40 years. And then if we, I want to jump into a passage of scripture in Joshua, who's the second in command up to this point, and then we jump in the book of Joshua. Moses had passed away. And Joshua has this moment of God where God shows him and says, hey, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's your turn. Next up, send in the lefty. Come on up, be strong, be courageous. You're going to take over. You're going to lead my people. And God tells him this, you're going to lead my people to inherit the land I promised him. And there's a very stark difference here between these two stories, these two passages. It's the same Israelite people. A generation has been killed off. They have all died. And then they stand on the cusp once more. God brings them almost like a big circle, 40-year circle, back to inherit the promised land again. And it says this in Joshua chapter 2, who he was one of the spies that went in, remind, remind, remember that. He went to the, in the promised land the first time in, in uh, the book of Numbers. It says this. In verse 1, I'm going to jump around a little bit. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at the Acacia Grove, which is like a campus plant of the Grove Church coming. Be ready for that. Just kidding. He instructed them, scout the land out and other, on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. They show up to the city of Jericho. They find this prostitute, Rahab, who protects them, who houses them up on the roof, And she's protecting them. And it says that the guards of the city came to her and said, hey, didn't some spies come and visit you? And she said, yes, they visited me, but they are not here anymore. She lied to the guards because she was protecting God's people. She says they actually left already and they went this way, which was the opposite direction of the camp that the Israelites were staying in. And then then the question comes up, well, why did she do that? Why did Rahab protect the two spies? We find that out in verse 8 through 11. I want to read this. It says this, before those spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. And she says this, I know the Lord has given you this land. She told him, we're all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. What the Israelite people in numbers forgot, Rahab remembered. For 40 years they remembered that the God of the Israelites is the God that we are to fear and be afraid of. But the Israelite people who are God's own people forgot. And they lived in fear. And the interesting thing is, the ironic thing is, so do the people in the promised land. They lived in constant fear fear for 40 years after the spies were told this after they were protected and they were heading back to Joshua to give the report that we see this in verse 23 of chapter 2 it says then the two spies came down from the hill country crossed the Jordan River and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them the Lord has given us this whole land they said for all the people in the land are terrified of us All the people of the land are terrified of us. The spies in Joshua got it. They remembered who sent them. They remembered the God who's sovereign, who created everything, who orders their steps, who's sending them to inherit a promised land, sent them there, and they realized we can conquer it. 
they were affirmed by Rahab's report that all the people in the promised land were afraid of them because they heard and saw what God had done. My question to you today is as you look at the neighborhoods God has brought you to, because I will say this and I will say it boldly, that I do not believe you're in your neighborhood by chance. I do not believe you're living there because it was the only rental available in the price range we were looking at. I don't believe you're in the neighborhood because it was the only one that accepted your offer and you actually able to process through all the financing. I don't believe that the neighborhood you're in is you're only there because you're still living with your parents. I don't believe that because I believe God has a purpose in everything. And I believe for you today that your neighborhoods are indicative and representing God's heartbeat for your neighbors. God's love is crazy. God's love is incredible. God's love is extravagant. And you and I are agents of that love to the neighborhoods we live in. So my question to you today, based upon that truth, based upon that perspective, is how are you doing at knowing your neighbors? How are you doing at knowing the ones across the street? Now, here's the thing. If you look at the book of Joshua, I'm not suggesting that we start destroying our neighborhoods. I'm not suggesting you make like a family flag and plant it in your neighbor's yard and be like, this is the dens. I'm not saying don't, don't pull a sparter out and kick someone down a curb. Don't do that. We live in a little bit different context, but the truth still resides. God has given us favor when we live in obedience to him. Do you trust him? Or do you live in fear? And as I was thinking about this, I saw the difference very, very vividly in those two passages. On one hand, the Israelite people originally didn't trust God. They did what he asked, but they, we see it all throughout their existence in the wilderness. They didn't trust God. On the other hand, you see two spies, Joshua, who went in the promised land, who was in favor of taking it with Caleb and was outvoiced by 10 other people who were spreading bad reports. It's a whole different message for a different conversation. Spreading bad reports about the neighborhood. And people rallied against saying, no, we're not doing this, which led them into a 40-year journey of wilderness. The difference between the two passages is they trusted God. It's the same for us today. As I was thinking about the fear conversation, I wonder if this is true for you and I, that our fear becomes magnified when we forget who God is and what he calls us to do. When we think about our neighbors across the street, what causes you to hesitate to even wave and smile? For some of us in the room, a wave and a smile is the, the best we do. There you go, I'm a good neighbor. Hi, good to see you. I remember years ago, Pastor Nick would make this statement, don't be the grumpy neighbor. And I'd have to ignore it because I was the grumpy neighbor. <laughs> and I didn't want, I didn't want to know. I, I got other things on my mind. I'm too afraid. What if they reject me? What if they don't want to smile and say hi to me? I made it so much about me that I forgot who God was and what he called me to do. I was writing down some fears that I think are interested or in, interesting for us to process through today. And I'm just going to be frank. When we look at Dateline, when we look at the world around us, when we look at all the news reports of neighborhoods and children going missing and the Ted Bundy docuseries and all these other different conversations, is there any wonder why none of us want to engage our neighborhoods? We live in a constant state of fear. But the problem with those documentaries and the problem with all those news reports is we're forgetting who God is. We're forgetting the greatness and the sovereignty of the God we serve. 
that he called us and planted us in a neighborhood so that the people in that neighborhood would know Jesus loves them like crazy, would know that there's hope for them, would know that their failing marriages or their sickness that they're battling is not the end of their story. But the problem is we're allowing things to influence us that are not biblical or godly. We're forgetting who God is. And when we forget who he is, we forget what he's called us to do, which then leads us to live in fear. And I'm going to be honest, fear is not, you're not going to be fearless as a Christian. You're going to face fear. It's how we respond to it and surrender to God who's greater than our greatest obstacle. It's a response in obedience in the midst of fear. So as I was thinking about these fearful statements that I'm about ready to make, some of them are very near and dear to me because I'm a fearful person. I've learned this. I don't want to be that anymore. I don't want that to be my story. But I think the first thing is sometimes we have a bad feeling about people. They, we get a weird vibe. They kind of creep us out. Or it's like, you know, I don't know if I want my kids. My filter right now is through my kids. I have a five, almost six-year-old and a two-year-old now. And so my filter is like, I don't want them hanging out with my kids. Who is that person? They're weird. They're creepy. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. They're not me. So why should I trust them with my kids? And the, the tension I want us to understand is there's a very fine line between discernment and knowing something's not right versus judgment and assuming something's not right. There's a very fine line between those two things. And if you have a bad vibe about someone, maybe in your neighborhood, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Your response should be prayerful, submission to Christ. Jesus, help me walk out your gospel and your truth. All the while being wise, as the Bible says, as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Discernment is a good thing. God gives us discernment. But let's not think for a moment that just because we feel bad or we have a bad feeling, that it actually is the Holy Spirit giving us discernment. Sometimes it's just judgment because we're critical people. We have a tendency, if we're not careful and obedient to Jesus, to be critical. So be, be prayerful. The response in the midst of, of a bad vibe is prayerfulness, is trusting Jesus in the midst of it. Maybe some of you in the room, like the fear that you have is like, I just don't have time. My schedule's busy. I've got things I got to do. I, there, I don't have time. And I have to add one more thing into my, my weekly calendar to start meeting my neighbors. I can't, I can't do it. I don't have the time. And here's what I've learned. That it's not adding another thing to your calendar, but it's actually inviting the Holy Spirit to give you opportunities in the midst of your calendar to build relationships, to build bridges. When the garbage night comes, my garbage is on Monday nights, what happens? If you're a good son or a good dad, or my wife says that she will never take out the garbage, it's one of her rules. When we first got married, I learned that. So I take the garbage out. And what I'm doing is I'm carrying my bins, if it's the recycling week, which is coming up, just in case you didn't know that. I'm bringing my garbage cans out to the curb. You know what I could do in that moment? I could be open to the fact if a neighbor's coming out, I could stop and say hi to him. I could stop and introduce myself to him. I can talk to him for a moment. I could interact with him for a moment. Oh, what I can do is like, oh, the neighbors. Let's be honest. Some of us, we don't want to engage our neighbors because our time, we just, there's so much to do. I'm not saying add another thing to your week. I'm saying ask the Holy Spirit to give you moments in your week because God will, wants you to be a great neighbor. He wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you think, and you're thinking this right now, well, I've been in my neighborhood for 20 years and I've never met my neighbors. It's going to be awkward. Yep, it's going to be awkward. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, I had two things I told my leaders. One, because students, they have a hard time having conversations sometimes. They're just not fully developed mentally. Not, it's not a knock. It's just reality. It sounds really bad to say it that way. <laughs> we'll record the next one. 
but they're just not cognitively fully developed to have conversations. So I would tell my leaders two things. Embrace the awkward silence. Just be present. You don't always have to have something to say. And it's only awkward if you make it awkward. It's not awkward if you don't let it be awkward. You may have lived in your neighbor for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you don't know your neighbors. Next time you walked in the mailbox, stop and chat for a minute. You know what? I've been, I've been here for a lot of years, and I'm sorry. I've not made it a priority to get to know you. My name's Aaron. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for helping make our neighborhood safe. Don't lie to them. If they don't, then don't tell them that. But, <laughs> but find a way to build a bridge. And if you, if you have like a weird vibe about that person, the mailbox is probably the best place to engage a conversation. But own it. It's going to be awkward. That's okay. How many awkward moments do we face a day, often? It's going to be awkward. Another fear, what if they think I'm trying to sell something? So what? I read a story recently about a couple who made pies for a neighborhood, and they're standing at the door, and the, the guy from inside the door was like, I don't want it. Don't want what you're selling. Not interested. And they're just, we just want to give you a pie. No, thank you. We don't need it. We, don't, we already have it. Go away. <laughs> they left the pie on the front step, and they had a chance to follow up. And they were, the response literally was, we just only have people come to our door to sell stuff. How can you love and engage your neighborhood? They might try and think you're trying to sell something. The sign says no soliciting. I'm not soliciting. <laughs> but honor them, care for them, but be intentional in building relationships with them. Some of you here, I think, are today, here today, I think this would be you if we're just going to be honest for a moment. If you were to have, you and I were to have coffee, which is one of my favorite things to do, and I was just like, there's no judgment, no criticism, I won't even respond to it. But I just want to ask a question Do you want to know your neighbors? I think some of us here today would be like, no, I don't want to. just don't want to. And here's what I want to tell you to do. Be honest with the Holy Spirit. Don't lie. Oh, God, I'll get to it when I have a chance. I, I'm trying to figure it out. No, you just don't want to. The Holy Spirit can work with honesty. When you keep lying to yourselves and lying about what your intentions are, the Holy Spirit knows first off. It's a very fine line, too, about lying to the Holy Spirit, so be careful there. But the reality is simply this. When you're honest and saying, God, I don't want to, you're actually submitting your will, saying, God, but I want your will. I can't tell you how many times in my life, different moments of, God, I just don't want to do this. But it's not my will, but yours be done. So, Lord, I'll do it if you want me to. A statement made in this book called The Art of Neighboring, the author said this, that our fears are often unwarranted and may be obstacles to obeying the great commandment. The fears that you and I have, well, what if they reject me? What if they don't, aren't interested in me? I don't have time for this. When I lived in Spokane, we bought a house on a cul-de-sac because we were anticipating having kids one day. And a cul-de-sac's a great spot to, to have a house because you can let your kids play out in the front yard. And it was, a, it was a great house. And we thought it'd be a great place to have community and relationships and build and be intentional about moving into a neighborhood. Like, God, show me, give me opportunities to reach my neighbors. And we quickly found out in Spokane, it's a beautiful summer. It's normally hot and sunny and hot and awesome, that no one comes out of their house. And I'm not trying to be exaggerative, but my wife and I were actually, we talked about this, it's like no, one, no one's outside their houses. They wake up early, go to work, they come home late, and they're in their houses the whole time. And my wife and I were so confused, like, how are we supposed to build relationships? I guess we can make brownies and bring them over and say hi to them. Hey, we're your neighbors, here's some brownies. Don't worry, they're good brownies, not special brownies. <laughs> Bad joke. 
But here's the crazy thing. Then the winter happened, it snowed, and a snowplow finally came through our cul-de-sac to, to plow it so we could drive through it. But it created these little snowberms right in front of our driveways. So my wife and I, knowing she had this little lower jet up, she's, there's no way she's getting out. Even with my exterior, I was like, eh, I could get it, but I need you to be able to get in and out. So we decide we have snow shovels, we walk out, start shoveling our snow, our drivers, and all of a sudden we realize, look, there's our neighbors. Here they are, they're out, they're about. I got this driveway to shovel, but here they are. My wife and I kind of chuckled to each other, and we just started shoveling our driveway. And when we were done, I said, hey, have a good night. Well, no, just kidding, we didn't do that. We, we looked for an opportunity. How do we build relationships? Well, right now, the only relationship opportunities we have is in the winter. So we went next door and started helping them shovel their driveway. Then we went next door and started helping. Then all the drivers were shoveled, and then we realized where the cul-de-sac came in. It had this little dip. And in order to get up, there was, again, a big old snowberm. So we, along with a couple of the neighbors, because they suggested it, walked down our cul-de-sac and started shoveling the, dry, or the entryway to our street. We just found an opportunity. It doesn't always play out the way we think it is, or it's not always going to be the way we want it to be. But the simple truth is this. When we are willing to lean into opportunities, the Holy Spirit will give us one. And we can be driven by fear or we can be driven by obedience to what God has called us to. So you've heard what I say. You're wrestling through these fears. What do you do with what you just heard? That's where this little card comes in. You should have received this card when you walked in today attached to the programs. I've got a couple people that if you don't have this card, they're going to walk down the aisle and be able to hand it to you. So if you don't have this card, I just want you to raise your hand for us real quick so we can make sure you get it. Because here's what I want to have you do. I'm going to give you like 15 seconds to fill out as, as many of the names as possible on this card, and I'm going to explain it for you in just a second. If you look at the card, there's a section in the center that says how to neighbor. I want you to envision that, that being your house, and that boxes around it are houses around you. Now, you may not have a tic-tac-toe grid neighborhood. That's okay, but I want you to think about the next eight closest neighbors that you can identify. And I want you to understand this. These letters represent three different categories. They'll be up on the screen behind me. The first letter, A, represents names. The names of the individuals that live at these houses. The letter B represents basic information. Information you would get to know about them. Maybe they're married. Maybe they're uh, a widow or widow or maybe they're divorced. Maybe they, they work down the street or maybe they commute to work in Bellevue. Whatever that looks like. Basic information from a simple conversation that you would get. Letter C represents deeper conversation. Maybe you hear about their career plans, what they're thinking about doing in 20 years. Maybe they're thinking about retiring soon. Maybe they have dreams of starting a family. That's why they moved into, into a house in your neighborhood. It's deeper information that you would have having had deeper intentional conversation with them. So what I want to do right now, because I don't want us walking away like, oh, this is a cute idea. I want us walking. I want us to have some content today. So I'm going to give you about 15 seconds to write as many names as possible in the eight boxes that are around your house. Ready, go. There you go, 15 seconds. I just want to take a quick pour right now. Did anybody able to fill out names for all eight houses? Someone, a couple of you did? Well done. Anybody, does anybody, if you were to think about more op options, could you put more information down? Could you put deeper information down? Here's the deal. There's a statement and a quote that I, that I read in studying for today. It just says this, that Jesus tells us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. In order to love someone like this, it first starts with knowing their name. So when you look at your grid, what does it look like? Is there a bunch of names on there? Can you get more information about them? Here's what I want you to do this week. Don't throw this in the recycling bin when you leave. Put it on your fridge. 
prayerfully ask the Lord for opportunities to get to know your neighbors. Because here's the deal. God has put you as an agent of his grace and his love in the neighborhood you live in, in your parents' house that you live in. Don't settle for a cop-out, but be willing to engage and ask the Holy Spirit for opportunities. So take this with you today. Put it on your fridge. Maybe you have to put it on your mirror. Whatever that looks like, I want to encourage you to take this today. I want to pray for you, and then we'll transition here in a moment. So God, thank you today for your reminding challenge of your word. And Lord, I pray where there's fear inside of us. God, I pray for courage. God, I pray for a reminder of who you are. I pray for an honest assessment of our heart's condition for our neighborhoods. And Lord, where we may not want to, or we may be fearful about judgment or criticism, or we may be fearful of being rejected, God, I pray that you would give us a deeper vision of your love and grace. God, as we are representatives of you. And I thank you today that you have given us, you have given us and you're going to give us opportunities this week for our neighborhoods. I pray that every name would be filled. God, I pray for every box. God, I pray for every detail. God, that you would give us favor. And God, we know it's not gonna happen overnight, but God, I pray we would be, God, diligent. God, that we would be zealous to look for opportunities to build relationship with our neighbors. And Lord, I pray we would have the passion and the conviction to pray bold prayers for our neighborhoods. We love you today and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.